I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? Today on the show, we've got John Sibley. John, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So just to give uh, you know new listeners context and context for you, our, our show, Merchants of Change, is really a show for new salespeople, um, people considering a career shift into sales. And you know the, the point of the show, it aligns with our mission. We help elite athletes and elite military veterans become sales professionals. And all our guests are former athletes or veterans that have found success in sales and in business. Um, we always like to start at the beginning with the sports career. And then we get into talking a little bit about the transition, and then we kind of end it with some good sales and business nuggets for for all our listeners. Good plan for you, brother. Yep, sounds good. Awesome, awesome. So um, we've talked about this, but I I, I want to know, like, if if I if I ask you to look back on some of your favorite memories from water polo, where does your mind drift off to? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's certainly like some specific games, like my, my very first game at Cal or, you know, my, my very first game for the U.S. team. Um, Big Splash, which is our rivalry game against Stanford. Uh, that was always fun. Like, th- those were great. But end of the day, like my favorite memories were in the locker room with the guys, um, you know, having that that team spirit, practicing twice a day, every day together. Like, like that's where my mind immediately goes back to. Like, that that's what I miss more than uh, you know, the, the, the games themselves or the awards and stuff is like, no, just the, the guys working together, uh, living together, being with each other, you know, twice a day is, is pretty special. Yeah. I, I, I have the same answer when someone asks me and we, we get, that's the most common answer we get is, is missing <laughs> yeah. my teammates, my friends, hanging out, hanging out all day with your friends and competing is there's not a lot of better things in the world than that. No. <laughs> Um, now we've never had a water polo player on the show yet. And I, I gave you some inside baseball. I'm, I'm relocating down to Miami and the high school that we're looking at, um, you know, for our four month old, cause we're crazy parents as a, as a kick-ass water polo team. And I'm nice. so curious about the sport, but like, what do you, what, what would you say, what should people from our audience know about your sport? Like if you were going to describe it to, to somebody that's new to it or never seen it. Yeah, so water polo is a pretty fast-paced, um, kind of aerobic-based sport that's played in the pool. Uh, the pool has to be 12 feet um, or, or deeper. There's, there's no shallow ends. Um, there's two goals, two goalies, six field players on, on every single team. Uh, and the ball that we play with is almost like a heavier version with the look and feel of a volleyball, a little bit, a little more grip than a volleyball. Um, but all the field players go back and forth between offense and defense trying to score. Um, and it's a really physical sport because of, you know, just the nature of the ref being out on the pool deck instead of in the water or underneath the water. They, they can't see what goes on. So, um, you know, a, a dirtier player can get away with a lot. Yeah. And if you guys haven't seen it, the water polo players are absolutely freaking shredded, by the way, because of, <laughs> of, of the amount of working out and, and calorie burning you do. Is there goalies in the net? Yep. Yep, each yeah. team will have two goalies. Um, yeah, 
I love it. I love it. It's an awesome sport if you haven't seen it. Um, now, going back to the teammate thing, when you when you look back at some of your favorite teammates at Cal, what what are some of the common traits or char- characteristics that they share? Yeah, I think guys that are just competitive, that they're hardworking, and they're working towards this common goal together. And um, I, I feel like a lot of times I still think in, in seasons almost, like we're, we're doing the preparation for, for this season of work or this season of life. Um, and I think that common trait is, you know, who can commit for that season in the lead up to it during the season and to ultimately finish out and, and win that season. So having that like tenacity, but in a very team minded way um, is what sticks out to me for some of the, the top teammates that I had. How do you think those same teammates would would describe you from your playing days? Yeah, so I think mostly um, resiliency, uh, being resilient, um, had a number of, of surgeries and injuries, uh, had to come back from two hip surgeries to play again the next season. Um, and I only really took the off season off. So de- definitely went through a lot of ups and downs with that, but always came back to the team and, uh, you know, would come back to win my, my starting job uh, that next season would. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'm curious. So, so you're playing water polo, right? For team USA, it's 2015. And you're just you're just counting the days until you get to be a salesman, right? <laughs> exactly. How did you how did you find sales? Were there other career paths that you explored, John? Yeah, so I, I think in college I, I wanted to be a lawyer. I did like a pre law major. Um, I found that to be fairly boring when I realized like what lawyers actually do. Um, you know, I wanted to be really speaking with people and, and working with people. Um, and then I think sales is just a natural fit for, for any athlete who's competitive, right? It's this very clear thing in the workplace where it's a win or loss. And, you know, usually your level of effort and the, the volume of effort you put in yields great results. And so I, I think that really uh, resonated with like my, my competitive fire and, um, you know, really stoked that need for competition that I still had. Um, you know, I, I just had retired from the USA team in 2015. Like I said, a couple hip surgeries, um, but I was playing water polo down down in Australia um, still and playing semi-professionally there. Um, but I really just wanted to get into something that, you know, would harness that need for competition, um, but also be very, very team-minded. So I, I joined a startup called Quid. It was a natural language processing startup, kind of a precursor to a chat GPT. Um, and it was a very team-minded culture. And I think that's what I love so much about it. Um, sales was great too, but again, it was like building that team to, to again, win that season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think people don't realize that sales is a team sport. And I think that's one oh, yeah. thing that we try to really emphasize with our athletes and our, and our veterans, because veterans miss that same thing when they, when they get out of service, they, they don't have that, that team every day. Um, yeah, I, I think the, uh, some of the best salespeople can really like marshal resources and people around them and almost have like a deal team, especially for these more like enterprise um, sales to, you know, really bringing this whole company effort to deliver for a client. Totally. By the way, I I didn't realize the lawyer thing. I also went down that route. Um, I took (laughs) one, uh, one course on the LSAT and then I called my dad. I'm like, I'm not going to be a lawyer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for both of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what was for you like? What was the hardest part from like going from semi semi pro water polo in Australia, which is incredible, being in a pool every day, 
now you're you're working full time, commuting to an office. What, what was some of the hardest adjustments for you? Yeah, I, I think. I mean, look, like having a teammate versus a coworker is completely different. You don't hang out with your coworkers as much outside of work. I mean, some places that happens. Um, it definitely happened at the startup I was at, but it is that a very different relationship than you know someone you feel like you're going to to battle with um, every single day and working hard together, and you fully trust that teammate um, in, in terms of the decisions they're making outside of the water. In our case, um, outside of the pool, um, and so t- a teammate is um, different, or sorry, a coworker, excuse me, is different. Um, you know, they, they might not have that same level of competition. They might not have that same level of work ethic. And you have to learn how to kind of navigate that in the workplace, uh, both as a manager, but also just as a, as a colleague. Uh, 100%. I will say I was, I was really lucky too, because, um, at the time I was working in San Francisco and I, I still got to play twice a week with a lot of my good friends, um, at this place called Olympic Club. And we, we were able to continue like playing internationally, went on some trips. We competed in National League. So. I was still able to get some of that uh, competition out of my system. Uh, I was actually just in Japan for Masters World Championships um, in August with uh, with Olympic Club. And it's this really, really cool culture that that league has, where that team has, where, you know, we can just get a bunch of guys together and still play at a, at a very high level. That's awesome. That's awesome. When you, when you look back at those early days um, at that first company, is there... Is there anything like you would you would love to do over if you had the chance? You think? Yeah, I, I think I would have just had more confidence in myself and uh, more belief in myself. Um, I was a really shy kid growing up; never thought I'd get into sales. Um, but I, when I look back at any time where I've missed a target or missed a, a goal that I wanted to achieve in life, work, sports, whatever, it, it all comes back to like that belief in myself. Like I was at times afraid of how great I could be. And so I stayed on the sidelines and didn't just go forward and take a risk. Um, and I think now, you know, having my own business, I've really come to realize that, you know, yeah, I, I can't succeed how I want to succeed with 90 to 95% effort. Like I, I have to go all in all, all the time. And um, I, I think that's the biggest lesson I, I took for that from that first job is, you know, I, I did well, but it could have been a lot better. Yeah, you, you, you do. You have to almost like force yourself out of your comfort zone um, yeah. and, and, and really push yourself. It's harder when you're younger, you know, you're you're you have, you're still figuring out your purpose and your and, and kind of what drives you. But once you get that locked in, like you got to go, you just got to, you know, you got to burn the boats. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you probably get these calls because I, 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 you know, it's one of the reasons I started Shift Group because I got these calls all the time from like student athletes from Cal, right? And they, they call you up and they're like, hey, I'm thinking about getting into sales. Um, what kind of guidance are you offering them? What questions are you asking them to be like, are you, because listen, sales is great. It's an awesome career. It's not for everybody. How are you figuring that out or helping them figure out if it's a really good fit? Yeah. So I think just getting to the heart of like what they want out of a, a job. Is it about the paycheck? Is it about the team? Is it about the product, the industry or whatever? Uh, from there, asking, are they curious? I think curiosity is like one of the number one things a, a salesperson can possess. Um, you have to be curious about your industry, your product, uh, and then the customer. You have to be curious about the customer's business and how you might be a good fit um, for, for that customer. So that level of curiosity, I think, is very, very important. It, it can't be... Uh, you, you can't have someone who just wants to do the same exact thing every day be in sales because you're going to meet with a wide variety of people 
um, every single day, every single day as a BDR or a AE. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think curiosity is the difference between mediocre and great. Like if you don't approach everything with like a beginner's mindset, it's going to be it's going to be a long right. slog. Um, yep. And so you get a kid, you kind of land on all right. This this person might be a great fit for sales. How are you guiding them on like selecting a, a good company to start their career at? What what should they, what are some of the characteristics that they should look for in that first role, that first job, that first company? Yeah. So the the number one thing isn't you know the salary or even the leadership. It's just where's a place that they can go learn and grow. What what has a great training program or or what will teach them through experience. Um, from there, I think you can narrow it down to a company whose product is in a, a very innovative field um, and is trending upwards. Um, and then industries that, that excite you. I mean, what, what I do now at Truebuilt, I know we're going to get into this in a bit, uh, but we, we sell to the construction industry. And, you know, these are the, the men and women who are like literally building American uh, society. And so our, our whole team, myself included, um, get, gets fired up about that, that mission. Um, and at the same time, we're investing in AI and computer vision solutions, which are, you know, very, very buzzy right now. But, um, you know, it's, we're, we're promoting this great new technological advances to uh, an industry that's frankly been neglected by the software world for, for a long time. And the combination of having that industry that I'm excited about, plus working on an innovative product um, and selling an innovative and delivering that product um, has been very, very fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that you said that because last time we talked about true built, I got fired up. Um, <laughs> and I know we're going to dig into it deeper. Um, when, when you think of like early, early brand new sellers, what do you think like that first, like six, 12 months, what should they, what should they be focused on focusing on to build like a really strong foundation for success for the long term? Yeah. So I think number one, just reps, like you have to get on the phone. You have to be sending out your outbound emails and you just have to, it's like training again, just, you have to get the repetitions going so that when it comes to a game and you get promoted from a BDM to an AE, you're, you're ready. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but I, I think the best, uh, AEs are BDMs who come from that company because they, you know, came up with this great product knowledge. Um, they really got to understand the industry. They really got to understand the company in a very low risk environment. And then as they transition to be coming an AE, it's like, all right, can they close? Can they build trust? Can they build that relationship? Because we know they have the product and we know they have the work ethic because they've already succeeded as a BDM. Yeah. And, and there's a key lesson in there for our audience, right? It's like, you know, we've, we've got low, low, attention rates now we got we got folks that are spending like six to eight months in the bdr role and then they're like i need to leave here because i'm not becoming an ae and i always push back and i'm like hey you know an extra four months an extra six six to eight months is not a bad thing and to your point like strategically for the company you get a kid in the ae seat that already knows how to get stuff done internally already knows the culture already knows the value prop and the icp you're gonna Forget about going to an AE in a whole new space and a whole new company. You're going to step in and be much more successful if you just stick it out and stay stay in that in that organization. In my opinion. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, we have very similar backgrounds in terms of like starting as individual contributors, moving to leadership, and then moving into CEO. And we'll talk about the CEO role. But tell me a little bit about your jump from from being an AE to running sales teams. What was that like? 
Um, were you always, was that always the path that you, that you were on? Yeah. So I think, first of all, it's pretty rare for top reps to make great sales leaders. Um, it's yeah. a different skill set. Um, that being said, I think most companies end up promoting their, their top reps anyways. Uh, but I think because of the leadership opportunities I had through water polo and, and sports, it was more of a natural fit to, to enter that role. So, um, yeah, I, I think I roughly always knew I, I wanted to do that, but I think it was more, um, unconscious that like I, I just gravitated to, to more of a leadership role than, you know, specifically targeting this as my career path. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did you have, um, did you have like leaders that you worked under that, that you looked up to that kind of showed you what good looked like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy who ended up being CRO at our company, um, when I first started at the company, I was his BDM, he was an AE and kind of as he went up the organization, I was able to kind of follow him and, and learn from him. And he really took me under his wing and, you know, now he's the CRO of like a, Series C company that that's killing it, and I, I still bother him for advice uh, <laughs> all, all, all the time. Uh, but that being said, I you know I, I ended up managing one of the sales teams at this company and um, started looking around, saying like, "All right, is is this it?" So I actually went back to the IC world at a different company, followed a different mentor over there, um, and I just wanted to make sure I wasn't you know stagnating my my own learning and growth. And you know at the time I was. You know, 25 years old running a sales team is like, all right, I, I need to find a place where I can like learn and grow from, you know, more, more seasoned, uh, professionals. So I did the opposite of the startup world and went to Visa, the, the credit card company. Um, very, very corporate environment and, um, you know, has, has its pros and cons because of that. But I, I learned a lot there as well. And that move back to IC probably seemed weird to some people at the time, but, um, I, I'm grateful that I did that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and listen, big versus small. I don't think that one's better than the other. To your point, there's pros and cons to both. It's, it's, it's an individual, an individual decision. Um, mm -hmm. now I love hearing these types of stories because my, because my story, uh, it means a lot to me. What for you, what decide, what drove you to m make the decision and become a founder? Yeah, so I think a few things went into it. Uh, one, there's the obvious of like, we, we've identified this problem that exists in construction and we think we know how to fix it and we want to deliver for these people. And uh, again, that's what really, really excites us. Um, and the second part was more personal of thinking about the impact that I wanted to have on other people, the impact that I wanted to have in the world. And yeah, it's, it's a risk, you know, leaving a very safe corporate job like I had prior to starting TrueBuilt, but I, I knew I would never regret uh, making that jump and at least, you know, being in the arena and, and you know, trying it out and really feeling it. Um, but I knew if I never got in the arena, like I, I would definitely regret that. Um, so that was the biggest driver for me to take that step um, and, and go for it. How much of how much of the CEO job is, is actually sales? Yeah, it's... Um, We've had different seasons of TrueBuilt. So, you know, I think last yeah. year we we're very much in the kind of like product design season. Um, now we're in the building season and we're, we're just starting to come out of that next month and be in the full time sales uh, where I think about 95% of my job will, will be sales. It's probably like 60% right now. Yeah. Yeah. And even like leading people, you know, you're constantly convincing, motivating and influencing sure. people. So that's a yeah. big part of it, too. Totally. And, and um, I, I'd, I'd add uh, fundraising from VCs um, is very much like a, a sale as well. 100%. 100%. We're going through that now. Um, 
Tell, tell, tell our audience about Truebill. I think this is one of the coolest companies we work with, and, and I'm, I, I want you to tell a little bit about the founding story, the problem that you solve, anything's fair game. This is like a commercial for you guys. Cool. Uh, so Truebill allows builders to produce more accurate estimates of how much a construction project should cost. That's everything from the material to the equipment to the labor. Um, I mean, we have customers that, because of the requirements from the owner or real estate developer, they literally have to estimate down to like the, the toilet rolls that are going to be on site. Um, so it's a very complex process to go through and say, all right, when we start building a year from now, what are things going to cost? Um, kind of the nexus of this idea was all the price and volatility and supply chain issues um, that really the whole world faced during COVID. Builders had like a very, very difficult time producing an accurate estimate. And even before that, anyone who's done a remodel of a bathroom or any sort of construction project knows it always um, is over budget and takes way too much time. And um, we, we think software is the, the answer to that. 100%. And, and, and just to like add some color, I, 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 we talked about this, John. I grew up roofing. Like there yeah. are situations where my uncle was underwater because he, he, did, a, he did a misestimate. It's like, and these are like, you know, business owners that, you know, that, that has a huge impact on their life when they, when they can't do that accurately and they can't do it fast, they can lose deals. Like this is a game changer, right? Yeah. We, we really see pre-construction, everything you do before breaking ground as something that should be a competitive advantage for like very, very savvy builders, whether that's, you know, like one of our customers, which does a lot of like government airports and, and military bases, uh, to another customer that mainly does interiors for, you know, more residential projects. Um, that pre-construction phase should be the secret profitability driver, right? Like the, the better we can estimate up front, the more we can get all the subcontractors, trade partners aligned up front, the less we're going to have change orders and uh, the less challenges we'll face once we actually do break ground and start, start building. 100%. Um... Now, part of being a CEO, probably arguably maybe one of the most important parts is, is building a team, right? Um, talk to me a little bit about like what, what, how you're approaching building your team at Truebill. Yeah. Um, for, for me, this is like very, very personal and very fulfilling. I, I think it's the, the most important part of the building the company is our, our team culture and the people we hire to, to bring on. Um, I think we've done a really good job of hiring so far and, you know, found people who, you know, you have to take a bunch of people and unite them under one roof, um, but they only stay under that roof that they can get united and excited about that that vision that you're giving them and the core values and culture that you instill on the team. And I think both myself and my co-founder, our, our CTO, Julian Proke, um, you know, do a very, very, we, we try to do our best at, you know, really instilling a team-minded culture. Um, we have something called the True Built Mindset that we talk about all the time. Um, and it's really the idea that purpose, passion, and hard work can achieve like great results, whether it's one of our customers, you know, building a, a ground up multifamily um, structure or, you know, us as a company producing some new feature or new product. Um, that tree built mindset is, you know, that, that passion, that work ethic, and that purpose to really achieve things as a, as a team. I love that. Purpose, passion, and work ethic. That's, that's the core. I love that. We just, I think we just named the episode right there. Um, uh, so now, you know, you're in a, you're in a different role now, but obviously I think, you know, you're using 
some sales strategies and, and skills that you, that, that are that stuff that you picked up early on. Are there oh, yeah. foundational things that you learned early in your career that you're using on a daily basis? Yeah. So I think succeeding in sales, um, at least in the software sales world is all about creating mutual wins, like mutual wins for us as a team, uh, for the customer, of course, uh, investors, like anyone that true built ecosystem, like we, we want there to be mutual wins. Um, part of that is creating artifacts outside of just like a, a sales deck or proposal that are co-authored by you and a potential customer. Um, for example, all of our potential customers right now fill out what we call the pre-construction software matrix, uh, which allows them to input the software they currently use to, to complete pre-construction, um, which is pretty amazing right now. So some companies use, you know, six to eight different platforms to do everything that, that TrueBuilt can do. We really want to end that, that patchwork approach. Um, other artifacts that we have is a executive financial summary where you work with that customer to figure out and really co-author like what that ROI is going to look like. Um, and then the last one we use is what we call our, our mutual success plan, where we're literally going to work with the customer to figure out, all right, this is what success looks like. Uh, you know, what are the steps and responsibilities of each party in this relationship to make sure that we hit success? Um, and I think that's something I really learned during my time at, at Visa um, and something that ultimately decreases time to revenue, which for a startup is extremely important, right? Is, you know, how can we get revenue in the door as, as quickly as possible? That, I mean, I want to bottle what, what you just set up and, and just like scream it at the top of my lungs. Like the, you know, you're using the term co-authored, but like what you're talking about is, is you know, that win-win, that win-win scenario and, and really putting yourself on the same side of the table as the customer. What are, what are the things that are, what are the things you're struggling with today? What is the, the negative consequences that of, of, of how you're doing things today? What is, what are the positive consequences need to be for you to change? And then like, how are we going to get there together? Not like, this is what we're going to do for you. And this is what you need to do. But like, we're going to sit together and figure this out. If you can build a sales organization and a sales process that looks like that, you're, you're unstoppable because then, then you're also able to identify when like, Hey, like I'm, I'm doing a lot more pushing or pulling than, than I should be. And like, there really isn't an opportunity here or this isn't the right person or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. You, you want everyone to be excited about moving forward with their company and, you know, everyone talks about, you know, closing a, a champion or a coach within that potential customer to, you know, like really promote TrueBuilt to, to the organization. Um, and really it's more than that. You need to be constantly closing like endorsement groups for, for us. That means like we need to get ahead of any like IT or, or legal uh, pushback. We need to get full business alignment from the business decision maker. We need to get, uh, we need to close the, the actual users of the product. And so I think you always have to be looking out for, you know, who are these decision makers? Who are the endorsement groups? And then how do we methodically close every single one so we can make this as easy a decision as possible? Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, sometimes people bucket verticalized software into like, oh, this is like, you know, transactional. But what you're talking about is, is going in and replacing six to eight tools that, you know, hundreds of people are touching and using. You have, yeah. you have to sell it that way. It's the only way it's going to work or you're going to be dead in the water. You know what I mean? Yep. Totally. That's awesome. Um, 
Very, very cool. Uh, so, so these are like our, we ask these questions to everybody. Um, it's like our two closing questions. The first question is we, we ask every guest to highlight one of the skills that, that they've developed that has made them an elite salesperson. What, what would you say your like most elite skill is? Yeah. So team building, um, making sure that we have everyone rowing in the same direction. Um, even if it's the wrong direction, sometimes at least we're, we're rowing together and, um, are in the boat together. So I, I think building that team kind of from the ground up is something that I've done well in my career, both in, in sports and at work. Um, and, and to be honest, it's also like the most fulfilling part of it for me, right? Is like, how can we get this group of individuals to function as one unit and succeed and pursue a common goal together? Love it. Love it. Um, now, I grew up, I, we talked about this, John. My father's a, a, a Hall of Fame hockey coach. So he's like been teaching us these sports lessons since we were seven years old. And he always used to tell us when we were little, a lot of people play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. And, and what he was trying to instill in us is this idea of professionalism. It's something that I think is the reason I was successful in sales is because I approached my sales job the same way my brother approached playing in the NHL. Um, or Tom Brady approach being a quarterback. So we think the highest praise you can give a salesperson is calling them a pro. What is what is that being a pro in sales? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I, I think someone who's holding themselves to a certain standard of, of excellence. Um, it, it's someone who's going to do the work, spend time learning if they need to learn, uh, and then go execute and, and then go perform. Um, and I think there's a lot of salespeople out there that end up almost getting a bit lazy sometimes because, you know, you, you close some big deal and, the, you know, you, you stop building the pipeline and uh, that would be an unprofessional salesperson. A sales pro, on the other hand, would be someone who, you know, closes the biggest deal of their career and is still prospecting themselves and is still, you know, cold calling themselves and continue to fill that pipeline. That's, that's what sticks out to me as someone who's like a true sales professional. I love it. I love it. It reminds me of my, the best rep that I ever had work for me. Um, we, we got a four and a half million dollar purchase order at, uh, NBC Universal. It was the biggest deal at, at the time that the company had ever done. And we're taking the Acela back to Boston from New York. And I hear her in the chair behind me on the phone. She hangs up and I'm like, what are you doing? And she was literally cold calling people from the Acela after closing the biggest deal in company history. And I was just like, I wanted to hug her. I was like, this is unbelievable. That's, that's a pro, amazing. man. That's, a, that's really well said. Really, really well said. Uh, John, this was an awesome conversation. Amazing nuggets for our audience. Um, thank you so much for, for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It was great to be on. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.